So prospecting in 2024, what should people be mindful of? All the future prognosticators, Dylan, they're all saying the SDR job is going to die. But if that's the case, how come everyone I know is hiring SDRs and BDRs? Funny enough, actually, the, the channel that's the most effective right now is the phone. Do you want to abandon LinkedIn? No, connect on LinkedIn, get the contact information, gather your three by three research from there, and then use email on the phone. This is the biggest challenge that I'm seeing. Um, I hate to say it, but the truth is. I'm pleased to introduce to you, Steve Richard. Calling Steve actually a sales expert would be somewhat of an understatement because you see the man founded and managed for 17 years, a company essentially offering sales training and a done for you service. And in 2015, he even co-founded Exec Vision, a conversational intelligence platform that later got acquired by Mediafly in 2022. Today, Steve holds the position of Senior VP Revenue Enablement at Mediafly. And if you're not yet familiar with Mediafly, it is a revenue enablement platform empowering customer-facing teams to plan, predict, coach, and engage at the highest levels. And so today with Steve, we are talking prospecting in 2024. Because with the further evolution of generative AI and automation tools, the way to get through the sales clutter has definitely changed. And Steve and I agreed that maybe it wouldn't hurt to have like an honest conversation about it. So we are talking on the one hand about the fundamentals of great prospecting and on the other about what's working and what's not in today's conditions. So please enjoy my conversation with Steve. So you told us that there is a lot to tell about prospecting. And so today it's like mid-October. I think the if the episode goes live, it's going to be about the end of November. Yep. So prospecting in 2024. Yeah. Start wherever you want to start, but you know, what should people be mindful of? So 2023 is the year where the, um, I used to say generic sequences and cadences. Many of, of you listening probably are familiar with the sales engagement platforms like SalesLoft, Outreach, Groove, uh, et cetera. There are many, many, many that are out there. Um, what we're seeing right now is you used to be able to put persona-based uh, sequences or cadences together and then really automate them with the exception of the call, that's not working anymore. So, so even, even as early as, you know, late 2022, we saw results from that. Now the numbers I'm looking at when I work with clients are things like, you know, they'll put, they'll put 400, 500 plus people into one of these cadences or sequences and they'll get zero, zero meetings or maybe one. So, so that's gone. Um, we're also seeing the rise, of course, of, of generative AI solutions I'm involved with a company called Reggie.ai that's very interesting on this front. That is uh, a generative AI prospecting uh, capability. It lives on top of those sales engagement platforms that I mentioned, also HubSpot and other. And it helps to write the customization, do the customization at scale. But, but what, we're, what I'm seeing in the marketplace for prospecting right now is the good old fashioned, you know, kind of smile and dial. Uh, it just doesn't work. The, the, you know, spam cannon, uh, approach of, we're going to send an email, they don't respond, hit them again, hit them again, you know, tailor the messaging a little bit, tweak the messaging a little bit for their role, but this hit them again. No, no, no. Like we're, we're, we're living in this day and age where you, and, and this is where generative AI becomes incredibly helpful. Um, you know, you can go to, to, uh, chat GPT and you can say, uh, what does this company do? Uh, what industries do they serve? What are their products? Uh, who do they compete with? 
uh, in those different industries. Uh, who is their typical buyer? What's the persona of their typical buyer? You can gather this information so you can come in with a really intelligent hypothesis. Oh, geez, we, we actually have a customer that is very similar to them. You know, like if I'm going to go after Snowflake and I can talk about Databricks, it's probably going to resonate. That's, it's a very similar company. Um, also connecting of dots on things like, um, relationships. I've, I've, I've gone full circle here, Dylan. I used to be very, very anti paying for LinkedIn, very anti paying for LinkedIn because for years there were actually little tricks. So you could kind of get all the good stuff for free. Uh, our friends at Microsoft closed all the loopholes when they, when they bought the platform. So, so now, you know, the, 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 the items they're releasing are really powerful. Like for example, you can say, all right, I'm going to import a list of all of our current customers. And then I'm going to import a list of my territory. Or if you have a CRM connected, you could just say, I just want to have my accounts that I own. And you can say, show me all the people that used to work at one of our customers that now work at one of my prospects, one of my target accounts. We call that old customer, new company or OCNCs. Uh, another one we're seeing is things like investor uh, relationships. So, you know, uh, it, the money is not flowing as freely as it was from the VCs and the private equity groups here in 2023 and 2024. It's probably going to be more of the same, at least for the first half. Hopefully they don't raise interest rates again. If they keep doing that, it's going to be worse. Um, mm -hmm. So what can you do? Well, if you have a client that's private equity backed, go take a look at who that private equity group is or those investors are and go to the rest of their portfolio companies. Because all of these private equity groups and venture capital firms, they've invested in a variety of companies. They're going to invest in a bunch of different companies. And usually they'll have some sort of a theme. They'll, they'll have some sort of a high, uh, an investment hypothesis. So it's going to be similar types of companies in many cases, or, or the fund will have multiple verticals that they work with where at least there's commonality. So then you could say, hey, look, the reason I'm in touch is because we're currently working with uh, this company right here, and, and they're one of your sister portfolio companies. So it's a, it, you have the same investor. If you come in with something like that, your chances of getting that meeting are much higher, six, seven, eight times higher or more than if you don't. And, and how do I know these numbers? Because I'm seeing people who are testing and measuring, test and measure, test and measure. And you'll see a dramatic difference when you connect the dots, the way I'm describing compared to just loading up the spam cannon and let it rip. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think there is a lot to unpack there, uh, but maybe we should start with kind of the basics because indeed I, I saw on one of your LinkedIn posts, uh, the following quote, do you know what's not working in prospecting right now? Sequences and cadences that are personal based, but not personalized with three by three research. You kind of mentioned it, but then maybe we should talk about what works and, and maybe first that three by three research. Can you explain? Yeah, absolutely. So. Three by three research is, I, th I think they'll probably put this on my tombstone. It's, the, it's a term that I coined uh, dating back to 2000, I think it was eight or nine. And what I was describing is I used to go in, um, along the way I built the sales training company. So I was, I was on site with clients. Uh, so we had our appointment setting firm, people would outsource it to us, or they would pay me and then our team to go train them and teach them how to do the best practices. So I went and I just observed a lot of people. And in uh, observing companies, you find that the top prospecting rep is not necessarily the hardest working one, which is counterintuitive. It's not the person who makes the most calls or sends the most emails. It's the person who's really good at, at connecting all these dots and doing it efficiently. 
So we, we would talk about pre-call research, but the problem with pre-call research is you can quickly turn into 30 minutes, an hour per prospect or per account. It's just, it's too much. Then you're not going to have the volume right. you need to hit your goals. So the happy blend is finding three points on the company, the contact, or the department. And by the way, it could be organization. Maybe you sell to hospitals. Maybe you sell to state, local government agencies. Maybe you sell to yeah, nonprofits, right? So the organ, you get the idea. The account, the organization, the contact, or their department. And that's one that people don't look at a lot. Like, like if I'm prospecting into State Farm Insurance, and if I if I look if I Google that person's name with quotes around it, and there's just there's nothing on the internet about this person at State Farm. There's just nothing on the internet. Then rather than giving up, what would, what the library, sorry, what the, um, uh, what the top reps would do is they would, they would remove the person's name and they would put the department. So maybe they were going after brand marketing or consumer insights or finance or M&A at State Farm. And then they would find some sort of a nugget about like, their, you know, their plans for the year or their, the head of their department was, uh, spoke at an industry conference or that kind of thing. That's awesome. Three by three research. So how do you find three points on the company contact department in three minutes of research, doing it very, very quick. And there's a, there's a reason why in terms of brain science for this, this is not my opinion. I didn't like roll out of bed and make this up. The brain science is that our brains were in something called system one. Most of the time where our amygdala is is engaged. And when your amygdala is engaged, the thinking is very fast and irrational. We're not making very smart decisions. It's the reason that people get treated like a telemarketer or like a salesperson. Cause if you don't, you know, say something to that prospect to flip them into system two, system two is what's called the prefrontal cortex. It's the rational part of the brain. Once that engages system two, the thinking slows down and when the thinking slows down, your chances of getting a meeting go up dramatically. Your probability is much, much better. Are you guaranteed you're going to get a meeting? Heck no, absolutely not. But your probability is way better. And we, I was able to illustrate this with a guy named Connor Lee in San Francisco. We did a test, an A-B test, where we looked at second-degree connections versus not referencing second-degree connections. So in group A, we did not reference. In group uh. B, did. Just referencing secondary connections, you're 568% more likely to get the meeting than if you wow. don't five and a half times more likely to get the meeting than if you don't. So it's, it's the kind of thing where most people don't do it, but anybody rational would look at that and go, this is silly that we're not. So again, what we're trying to do is get our prospects out of system one, get our prospects in the system two. Once the rational brain engages, now they're treating us like a human being. They're not treating us like a salesperson. The thinking slows down, the rational brain engages. We're going to be more likely to get a meeting. So that's three by three in uh, not too brief an explanation. Sorry for that. That's uh, no, super, super interesting. Thanks for sharing this. I can also imagine that when you do that kind of research, of course, the, the very good reps, they know when a good piece of information is good enough. But I can also imagine a couple of reps thinking, all right, I found something to personalize my outreach with, good enough. Well, maybe, you know, there is also that element of relevancy. And so I don't know, to your experience, like, is it how important is to be relevant with that piece of information? And is it always easy to find something relevant? It's a great question. Um, people, 
are too concerned with how relevant and making sure it's highly relevant and highly connected to something that you do. You do not need that. You do not sure. need that. I mean, I've even seen three by three research on something like, um, and actually I'll even share a link. You can look at it later on with an exchange that one of our salespeople had here, um, where this guy on his LinkedIn talked about standing desks. So the prospect was set on a standing desk enthusiast and she opened her message with, I'm a standing desk enthusiast too. In fact, I'm standing right now at my blah, blah, blah desk. It has nothing to do with Mediafly. I mean, we're not selling standing desks, but the whole point is just, it's getting them into system too. So the key to it is to get it, to get to something fast. The speed is much more important than the specific. And that's a big thing that people don't realize because in prospecting, you've got, this is kind of more for managers to think about, okay? In prospecting, you're going to have, I'll call it three personas of prospectors. Persona number one, this is your rep, right? So the persona of your rep, the type of person they are. Uh, rep number one is going to be uh, a cowboy. Cowboys are going to be lots of activity, no research. Rep number two is going to be a librarian. Lots of research, not enough activity. Neither one of those is optimal. Rep number three, we call snipers. I, I'd like a better act, you know, a better term, but people get it. It's the kind of people who just get enough and then use that information in context. And this is the reason why you'll see that they work. They don't work the hardest. They're in the middle because they're working the smartest. They don't get the most amount of research. You don't need the most amount of research. They're in the middle. They're getting the right information. They've, they've, they've seen the themes and the trends. Every, every company I work with, there eventually will be themes of like, these are your two points of three by three research that are your go-tos. If you can get something else, great, but like get those every time. You know, we don't have to obsess over it being three. It could, it could be two. It could be one if it's really good. But, you know, it, we know what the go-tos are. The librarians spend too much time. They see them and they keep going. The cowboys, they don't even look. The snipers, they get them and they use them. Right. Be somewhat in the middle. I can also imagine that people that are listening to this now might be thinking, all right, that three by three, I got it. But let me try to automate it. Do you think that works? It's a great question. So um, the company I'm the most enthusiastic about, let me take a step back. I have been going, I was on the advisory board of the Inside Sales Association, which was called the AAISP. It was American Association of Inside Sales Professionals. Strange acronym, but they were around for a long time. Thousands, I think 10,000, 12,000 members, something like that. And it's global. Wow. Global organization too. They've since renamed the AAISP, but if you look it up, you'll find it. So um, I was on the advisory board globally for the AAISP for many years. And I went to literally every single event for 10 years. Okay. So I, 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 I really feel like I've got a pretty good grasp of this. I saw so many vendors exhibiting that claimed that they were going to be able to automate that personalization at scale. And I tested many of those and they, they didn't, they never lived up to their hype. They never, they never did what they claimed to do. The first time I've seen something that makes me think that this, 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 there is a hit of future here is what they're doing at Reggie, R-E-G-I-E dot A-I. I'm, I'm very, uh, you know, cautiously optimistic that they've cracked the code on it. Um, the thing that I find is the mistake. Anybody who tells you that they can just automate all of the customization and literally all your rep has to do is sit back and hit a button. Boom. 
and then no emails just go out. No, <laughs> don't do it because AI gets it wrong too. You know, we've all seen that before. I, in fact, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm being confused in Canada with a with a uh, known felon because AI keeps getting it wrong. I look like the guy. I've got I've got the same birth date. You know, um, so every time I go to Canada, I get pulled over because AI gets it wrong and it keeps getting it wrong. And literally the humans can't override it. It's crazy. So like literally the Canadian Border Patrol cannot override it until I get like to the second level supervisor. The reason I bring this up is to say, if you want to use automation, it's not pure automation. You give, and this is what I like what they're doing with Reggie, you give this UI to the rep that gives them the control. So if you're looking at a, 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 a point of three by three research and it's not right, click a button for the next one. Aha, that's good. You're looking at the, the, the body, the message body, which we call common challenges and customer voice. And you're going, that's not really a good fit for them. Hit a button. It generates another one. Aha, that one works well. So there's, there, there's, there's humans directing and, and, you know, being the guardrails for the AI. That's where I see 2024. I see 2024. If, if you can start doing that at some, some scale, now we would have, unfortunately in, in reality, fewer SDRs that are getting bigger numbers. Um, I'm just not seeing it yet. So, so the, the thing I keep going back to is all the future prognosticators, Dylan, they're all saying the SDR job is going to die. The BDR job is going to die. In fact, I just, on Friday, I just learned about six cents launched an AI email assistant. You know, I, that I, it's the end. It, it's, <laughs> I, it's the end. But if that's the case, how come everyone I know is hiring SDRs and BDRs? So I, I'm not convinced. I'm not, I'm not sold. Um, you know, it, it, may, maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I do not see 2024 as being the end. What I see is 2024 as being the year where you can have one person who could do the job of three finally. Uh, also throw connect and sell in that mix, right? Like now all of a sudden we can get more people on the phone. Nah, I definitely follow you on that one. I think it's just good that we have AI because if one rep can do the work for three reps, that we don't need as many as the are because as you say, we are all looking for them. So. I think that's uh, that's just only a good thing. Now talking about like the uh, prospecting channels, yeah. I think I mean I'm not sure actually, but I think we mostly talked about email so far. But what do you think like could be channels to double down on? Um, yeah, if so, you think so of email, you phone, that, social selling. Yeah, yeah. F funny enough, actually, the the channel that's the most effective right now is the phone. I I I feel like I'm going back to when I started my business in 2005 because we saw the pendulum swing. It, it was phone and then it went to email and then it swung back to phone. Um, along the way, let's call it like 2013, 2015, we saw social and LinkedIn become really, um, in some cases, that was the only source for people and they were able to get their whole number based on that. Maybe even earlier, 2010 to 2015, call it. But let me tell you some things that were not working that'll be better first. Number one, um, in mails. In mails are when you go on LinkedIn and you pay for Navigator and you send someone a message that you're not connected with. I continue to challenge people to show me that that works and continue to have people who run tests and they'll say, we sent 84 in mails and I go, how many meetings do you get? Zero. So we're, consi we're consistently seeing that that's not effective. Another one that's interestingly not effective is the um, video prospecting messages. So this is, you're probably seeing this where there's like a thumbnail and someone's holding a sign and the sign says like, hi, Dylan, and there's a play button. Um, so the interesting thing about that is those kinds of video prospecting messages are very effective 
for mid-funnel opportunities after you've already engaged. I agree. They are horribly ineffective from all the, the, the tests that I've seen at getting someone cold to take an appointment. So they're, they're not working there. Um, connecting on LinkedIn is helping though. So can, so you, do you want to abandon LinkedIn? No, connect on LinkedIn, get the contact information, gather your three by three research from there, and then use email on the phone for the rest of it. We're even seeing, I, I used to see even like two years ago, three years ago, once you're connected, send a direct message. A message on LinkedIn is different than an email. So once you're connected, I can send you a message for free. That's also not working now. It, it, it was. It was working like two or three years ago. We would we would we would wait two or three days, send content, like a content piece, and then we wait another two or three days and ask for the meeting. That used to work great. Not working anymore. So anyway, sorry, you had something to add here. Hi guys, I quickly want to let you know that we are doubling down on this podcast, and by so doing, we are looking for the better revenue stories out there. So if you like what you hear. Please give it a like or a follow. It is a simple click on a button, but that click would mean the world to us. All right, let's go back. No, yeah, it's no. I, I think I just wanted to add on the um, the video prospecting. Indeed, I, I feel like it it has worked in the past, but like for a very very short time frame. And I think that that's like a repeating thing also in prospect in prospecting is that it used to be the one of the hundred that did it. But once that everybody does it, you know, it's just starts to lose the, its effectiveness. And I feel like it's the same with actually many different things. So like I'll the spam give you, cannon, it might have worked before, but yeah, sorry. There, there you go. I'll, gi I'll give you one that is working though. That's it. That's not what you'd expect. When someone connects with you on LinkedIn, LinkedIn has its own built-in video messaging platform. You can only access it on the mobile app, which is so bizarre. And I'll even pull it yeah. up so you can see it. So, so what you do there is after you connect, let's say I'm trying to get a meeting with you, Dylan, after you accept the connection request, I'm then going to go on to LinkedIn. I'm then going to go to your, your um, profile. And one of the options I'm going to get is to send you a video message. And it's literally like a selfie style video type of a message. But you can only do this for first degree connections and it's funny actually we're a second degree connection so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go grab one for first so you guys can see it if you're on if you're on this you hit the message messaging app right so if you hit message then one of the options it's going to give you you get to a screen like this and then one of the options that you're going to get is that plus and when you hit the plus it says see if they, my camera will focus here video you guys can see that icon right, right. There. Yeah. So that's how you can send a video message. So now why? Hang on, that's weird. Like what why would a like if I if I go fire a bomb bomb or vidyard or something and then I send a cold prospecting video message, why would that perform worse? And my hypothesis is because you're on LinkedIn, you're not dealing with the um email um security systems and the firewalls and all that kind of stuff. So I think what's going on is, is your chances of getting it viewed are much, much higher. Even very security conscious people will click a video on LinkedIn's platform because it's on LinkedIn's platform. You can't, you, you can't have a virus or, you know what I mean? Have malware on LinkedIn to my knowledge. Right. I mean, unless it's an external link, but this is not an external link because the video is already on the platform. Mm -hmm. No, that's definitely interesting. And I don't know in, I mean, if you would favor the LinkedIn algorithm or the LinkedIn whatever they prefer, they would also prefer to have their the user stay on LinkedIn. So I don't know if in exchange that could also be rewarded somehow. 
but uh, definitely interesting. Never experienced it be before, so I might do it. It's it's, it's do a it. total like what you said before. Those is right. It's like if everyone zigs, you zag. You know, and and we're you just this this function of prospecting, this job of prospecting. I don't care if you have SDRs or BDRs or BDAs, or if you're just a salesperson who needs to prospect yourself or you're managing a team. People think of it as this kind of boring pursuit, like just grit your teeth and bear it. Send more emails, make more calls, and just gut it out. And it's completely the wrong way to look at it because it's an it's an incredibly creative pursuit. There's so many different angles you could take. Um, I'm also seeing the the rise of the good old fashioned, depending on how you set up. But for some of my clients, they have um, routes that they drive or they, they they get in the field, and they'll they'll knock doors and that kind of thing. Bring in someone cookies and milk believe it or not, you know, to their office is the kind of thing we're seeing working again. And it feels like, really? Like what year is it? 1997? Really? Someone's going to bring cookies and milk to an office. Yeah. If they were actually at the office, that's going to make you stand out totally. And your the boss probably going to come out and say, thank you. In which case you got, you, you got an audience with maybe even the economic buyer. So there's, there's a lot of interesting things we're seeing that if, if you open your, your eyes and be more creative, you'll take advantage of them. Yeah, no, definitely. I think if there is also one thing you cannot automate is human to human interaction. So I can totally imagine that it works. It's not scalable though, but I can imagine that it works. Well, look, and, and here's the thing, you could use AI to optimize the route and to determine which accounts to, to pursue. You, you could use, you could use AI to, um, to, to help you determine when you're more likely uh, to get that person that's going to actually be in the office. What are the days you should, you should go? I mean, there's, there's a lot of other use cases for AI. Like that. Uh, you know, you could, and as I mentioned before, you can use AI to understand that person's business or their organization and the things that they care about and the drivers so that you can hit them with a really good sentence with one or two sentences where the messaging is just boom, right between the eyes. Um, so. I like that. No, yeah, there you talked a bit about uh, yeah, trigger events. How far can we go actually with trigger events? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the biggest one is job changes. Um, and uh, I, I would say as opposed to how far can we go, I would say how well are we doing now? And I would say it's like a C minus. Um, one of my client, uh, or, or one of my friends is a company called Pipeline Signals. And Pipeline Signals specializes in um, old customer, new company, following customers to new companies, and then helping the uh, salespeople actually turn that into an opportunity in their pipeline. You know, how do you, how do you get in touch with these old customers going to new companies? Um, we, we have a long way to go there. It's, it's, it's not systematic for the vast majority. It's kind of happenstance. Maybe I stumble into this kind of information about this trigger event, but it's, it's certainly not um, automated. There, there's another great use case for AI. A, and I don't, I don't know of anybody doing that where you could have AI in theory monitoring against uh, uh, trigger events. Um, we certainly see that with like six cents or qualified, right? Where you have you have it for buyer intent. So there there is automation around buyer intent, but but when it comes to trigger events specifically with automation around that, I, I haven't I haven't seen it delivered. The the bigger thing is I haven't seen it delivered because Zoom Info would say we've got it or you know Sales Intel would right, say right right. But, but the, the reality, oh, their, their their signals are usually stale, and then and then secondly, they're not being delivered to the reps in their natural workflow which really needs to be like Slack or really needs to be, um, you know, email or the CRM. Those are the ones that I find people living in. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, actually a good remark because also earlier you, you made me think of that because you mentioned all those different tools. Uh, that's part of the prospecting tech stack, if I may say like that. But how far should like a sales rep become in his or her tech saviness, you know? How much does he or she needs to be able to play along and jiggle along with all those different tech stack? This is this is the biggest challenge that I'm seeing. Um, I hate to say it, but the truth is, and this is not across the board, okay? The truth is, most of the time, older people who are maybe, let's say, in their 50s or 60s are struggling more with using all of these different technologies in harmony with each other to prospect, whereas younger people are generally picking it up quicker. There are exceptions to that rule. I've, I've got a, a client I'm working with where there's a, a woman in her 60s who is just doing great. She's figured out a rhythm and a workflow of using all these different tools and it's, it's great. And then I've got a client that's got a 22 year old kid who, you know, he, he wasn't even logged in. And I, I, I actually, you know, do coaching sessions where I observe the rep workflow. This, this, this kid wasn't even logged in on Google Chrome. So if you're not logged in on Google Chrome, he didn't have all the passwords saved. And as a result, he couldn't, he literally couldn't even log in to like LinkedIn and Salesforce and zoom info or whatever. Oh, so yeah, it's just like a hot mess. So, so the, the point is, is it's not, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make a total stereotype, but as a general rule of thumb, yeah, you do. I mean, you, you gotta be tech savvy and you gotta be able to connect all these pieces and even something so simple as like, okay, well, what's the workflow for adding a contact into my CRM? Um, Navigator has a, you know, a really nice workflow with like a sales Intel who has a Chrome extension or a zoom info with their Chrome extension where it's an overlay. So if you're looking at the right contact you love on Navigator, which by the way, you got to be pretty tech savvy to use those filters. Those filters are complicated, right? Once you get to the right contacts and you want to add those people to the CRM or your or your sales uh, engagement platform, um, the Chrome extensions are really handy. But here we go. A lot of these people, a lot of these salespeople, if you say to them, what's a Chrome extension? They'll be like, uh, I don't know. Start I don't explaining even know this and then all the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, once upon a time, I didn't know what any of this stuff was either, but then I was around it for, you know, 20 years. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, I'm also still struggling with really understanding like how far should the sales rep go into that? Because you also have, uh, you know, RevOps, which tries to take care of a lot, but not every organization can afford or, you know, can enable uh, the organization to have someone that's occupying of the RevOps. So I can also think of, you know, trigger events and making sure that you have like the right filters on, on LinkedIn sales nav so that indeed you get the alerts that you need to get and that you can act on the triggers, but like, whoa, it, it can become like a little bit too much and you still have to personalize it for, I would say every sales rep, because every sales rep might be working on other types of clients, other types of verticals. So I feel like the sales rep needs to take some ownership over it. But yeah, that's also not why they were hired in the first place. So here's what I'm seeing. RevOps is really good at provisioning licenses for people. Full stop. (laughs) Full stop. That's it. So once the licenses get provisioned, the salesperson gets an email and the email says, you have been given a license to blank. But... What they're not doing is they're not, and enablement is playing a role in this, obviously. What they're not doing is holding that person's hand through, how do I even accept the license? How do I then set up the the configurations correctly? Because if your configurations are not correct, it won't provide any value for the rep. How do I set up the integrations and the personal settings so that the technology actually works with other technologies and does something for me? 
And, and what I'm seeing is that RevOps is not doing that. For, that is an individual thing. I wish they would, but they don't usually, right? They don't help people to connect the dots on how to use all this stuff together in harmony from their workflow. And everyone's workflow is going to be a bit different, right? So they don't, they're, they're not. So, so, the, so the short answer is that um, I see a lot of salespeople and a lot of companies that are getting left behind. They're, you know, it's the ch the children are being left behind by RevOps because RevOps is kind of like, hey, look, my job is to provision licenses. I provision licenses. I'm done. We're good. And what's the, the role of the sales leader in this? Uh, uh, they're so busy trying to put out fires. They're so busy trying to get deals in the door that they're not going to be able to sit there and handle these people either. And the sad reality is that most of the sales leaders that I work with are not going to be as tech savvy relative to the people on their team. So you're trying to take somebody who's not particularly good at something in the first place and, and try to get them to, you know, be the leader and hold that rep's hand through it. Not a great idea. So, so this is where I see certainly enablement um, and certainly like having a mentor within the sales organization that knows how to do this kind of stuff. I see a better role for this happening there. But, but, but sales, the sales leader should be following up on it. The sales leader should be saying, hey, look, like, you know, one-on-one -on -one, rather than, hey, let's talk, how's the weather there in St. Louis? Oh, it's a nice day today. How's the weather there in San Diego? Beautiful as always. Like the one-on-one the -on -one conversations I hear are mind-numbing. Instead, what we should be doing is saying, okay, so you got all these licenses for these things. Share your screen. Walk me through. How did you configure it? How did you put all those things together? I want to confirm that's all good to go. If not, I'm going to send you to the guy on my team who's really savvy with this stuff. He's going to help you put that together. How are you going to use that? So we, we, we have a goal, you have a plan. How are we gonna, how are we gonna use these things for that, uh, for those purposes that you're gonna, you know, so that you can actually work smarter and not harder. So I, I, I see the, the role in the sales leader is accountability, but in reality, they're probably not gonna be the teacher when it comes to how to use all the different sales technologies together because they don't know how to do it themselves. Hi guys, have you heard anything fascinating yet? If so, please share your learnings on LinkedIn. That way we understand better what you value but at the same time, you're also providing value to your network. All right, let's get back to the interview. What, is, what has worked? Have you seen use cases where adoption of this different tech was quite, quite, was quite good? And so yeah. if so, what did they do? What did they do in particular? Uh, companies that are sharing their screens during internal meetings. So the, I'll give you an example. One of my clients comes called Hanover Research. And when I first started working with them, they, they have... Um, associates that are, we would call SDRs or BDRs, and then they have uh, reps that close business. We would call them AEs. They call them directors, okay? And they're in a one-to-one -one pairing, classic, one-to-one -one pairing. They were meeting every week. But when they met, they were kind of just talking about things conceptually. They weren't doing the prospecting work together. So what I did is I said, look, and it's a remote, you know, some of the, they're, they're in the office, but it's only the SDRs are in the office. The AEs usually don't go in sometimes, but usually don't. So I was like, look, guys, like if you're working together, you have to see each other's screens. You have to like actually work on the accounts in real time. They launched Sixth Sense. You know, what are you seeing in Sixth Sense? Where's the three by three research? How do we connect all the dots with what you're seeing on LinkedIn? How do we leverage the, you know, the data from Zoom Info? How do we put it into a workflow that's really rinse and repeat that's super easy? You know, writing the emails together, which the emails end up becoming the talking points for the call. You know, where to put that information so that people can consistently go back to it day in and day out. You know that so so you the, the reality is that most of the time if you have a split sales function the sdr bdr is going to be someone who's more junior 
and they just don't have the business savvy. And the, and the salesperson is going to have the business savvy, but they're probably not going to be as good with the technologies and the, you know, and connecting the dots with all the information. So what do you do? Put them together in real time for an hour or two a week where they're sharing their screens. That's the key. I, I would go to observe some of the sessions and they wouldn't be sharing their screens. I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. Dylan, don't just tell Fred what you're looking at. Share your screen so you can see it together. And when you do... What ends up happening is Fred's like, oh, actually, I changed my mind. I, I, I actually would rather use that messaging right there than that because he could see it because now they were actually working together as if they were in the office together the way it used to be. So that's my number one piece of advice is like, like team prospecting, sharing screens, take people who have different strengths, put them together. Really good things happen. I mean, these guys were on some like three and a half appointments per rep per month and they went to like nine and a half or 10 per rep per month after, oh, wow. which is a big jump for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's, I mean, that's maybe the, the step after really doing the prospecting itself, but really the, the collaboration between SDRs and AE, it's not always what it should be, right? That's right. That's right. And 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 the, the AE needs to be involved. The The idea of an AE is just going to generate a, a list or, or RevOps is going to generate a list of targets and just lob it over to the SDR. Good luck. Like that, that just, it doesn't work. You've got to, you've got to have a, a hypothesis for why we're going after certain accounts. And there has to be, you know, cognitive thinking as opposed to it just being like, well, they were on a zoom info poll, you know, like, like going and doing a zoom info poll with a couple of filters, downloading that list and pumping it into outreach or sales loft. It, it ain't working. Do, doesn't work. So it used to, you know, four or five years ago, you could get away with that. Sure. Now. Oh yeah. Forget it. But, uh, forget okay. about it. No, that's good. So I know that you also um, made a post pretty recently about outsourcing SDRs. So maybe we should talk about that. Would you recommend it? And if so, when would it be a good case? So I sold my company. So I have nothing in it for me, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, after after 21 years. So we had 453 SDRs. It was called Vorsight. Uh, 21 years later, we sold it in 2021. So 2000, oh, sorry, 16 years, 16 years, sorry. Uh, 2005 to 2021. Um, here's the answer to the question. It depends if you need supplemental outsourcing because you have a gap. So your internal team, let's say is producing 150 meetings a month, but you need 200 to hit your goals. Supplemental outsourcing for those 50 is a really, really good idea because what you're doing is you're diversifying risk. You're spreading out your risk. Your risk of not hitting that number goes down because now you've got two sources. And if all of a sudden you have a couple people quit, And instead of getting 150, now you're getting 110. Well, now we can scale up with the outsourcer a little bit to cover the gap, but then you hire a star class of four or five people, and then you can scale down with the outsourcer. So supplemental is a great idea for outsourcing. Should you outsource wholesale? The only time I would recommend doing that is if you don't have a career path for your reps. So if, if, if you're, you become an SDR, BDR, and maybe you can go to SDR2, SDR3, and then after that, realistically, they can't make the jump to sales. It's just too big of a leap. Then outsourcing. Can you bring in examples of context? It, it would be it would be a company that because you know there's a lot of there are a lot of companies that have a transactional sales role. So if you're if you're an SDR one, SDR two, and then you get to a point where you're ready to close deals and it's a transactional sale, they can make that jump. They can make that jump. But SDR one, SDR two, and then it's a sale that's like. The minimum deal size is seven figures. You know, all the people who are selling have 30 years of experience. That SDR can't make that jump. 
Like there, gotcha. there's no path from here to here. It doesn't exist. Um, they could leave and go to another company and eventually come back, but you know, they, there's no, there's no. So in that case, outsourcing makes a lot of sense because what you'll you'll find is you on this hamster wheel, where it's just doing it again and again and again. That's interesting. Better to outsource. Do you have do what if 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 one would work with uh, with an outsourcing SDR agency, like what would be like a great practice in in collaborating together? Do you have like best and and worst practices when it comes to that? I'm sure you have been working there for 16 yeah, years. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it starts it starts with um you know I wrote this post the post about the 11 tips for outsourcing uh, source appointment setting ROI. It starts with your list generation and being able to you know say why. You know, I, I, I always tell SDRs and I always tell the outsourcing companies too, if someone puts, if your client or your rep puts a, 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 a target account on a list and you say, hey, how come, why? Why is it, why this one? And if they go, uh, I don't know. Nope, not gonna work, not gonna work. There has to be a hypothesis. If the, if the salesperson themselves can't form a hypothesis because they're being too lazy, then the list generation process is just screwed. And you've got to go back and fix that. So that'd be a big one. Second big one, got to be talking directly to your rep. A lot of the outsourcing companies, they say like, oh, you can't actually talk to your rep and they're anonymous and nah. The ones that I see work the best is you're actually having a relationship with the rep. So the outsourced rep and the the closing rep will actually get to know each other. I mean, we had some clients where they became like lifelong friends with the salesperson <laughs> that they scheduled for. Well, look yeah. at that. Because there's an emotional connection too. You know, you're gonna, why would they be anonymous? Like if someone hears that well, from a an lot agency, of how can they challenge that? Well, a lot of outsourcing companies don't want you to know their rep because then they're concerned you're going to poach them. You're going to take yeah. the rep. So, so they'll, they'll say, no, you can't know the name of your, of your rep. Okay. No, good. Interesting. So it's like, it's like collaborate, you know, work with each other and get to know each other and have an emotional connection. I mean, look, if you're, if you're sitting around and it's 515 and you could, you know, make it another 20 calls or you could head down to the bar for happy hour. And if you actually have an emotional connection with the salesperson you're supporting, you're going to make 20 more calls. And guess what? You're going to get another appointment that you wouldn't have gotten versus the, you know, the, the, the sales rep that outsources and they don't know their SDR that's outsourced. They don't care. That SDR is not going to work a little extra for them. No, for sure. You, you mentioned something about uh, forming a hypothesis and I obviously like that idea, uh, but can you make it very tangible? Like, because you, I, I think you also mentioned in a post that you can use like uh, information from JetGPT to form a hypothesis to prospect into the account with a very intelligent targeted messaging. You now also yep. said it about creating a targeted list. Like how would that system of creating a hypothesis and, and really testing the hypothesis go like how do you make it very tangible yeah you got you got you got you to um, either a have some sort of a customer that's similar or success story or something that's similar and by the way it doesn't have to be a similar industry vertical like when i was when i founded exec vision which is conversation intelligence uh, when i first found that it we we had a hypothesis that we were going to go after business owners we thought business owners would want to like hear everything that's going on in their business all the different phone calls so not just sales but also like finances collection calls recruiting calls whatever so we went hard after ceos of smbs um turns out our hypothesis was completely wrong like they didn't care so what we heard along the way is the ones that had big sales organizations they did care and the person who cared was the second level sales leader and oh, by the way, it wasn't just that they had a big sales organization. It was big sales organizations that made unscheduled calls 
those were the ones that were better. Anybody who has unscheduled calls instead of scheduled calls were just a better fit. They invested more in call coaching and that kind of thing. So for us, the common thread was actually not industry vertical. The common thread was, here's a company where we have a hypothesis that they have a lot of salespeople. You can see it on LinkedIn, a lot of salespeople, um, centrally located. A lot of the leaders talk about call coaching. It, our hypothesis is here's a company that's invested in doing call coaching. So therefore they will find our application, our, our SaaS tool to be really beneficial. And that changed everything. So once we, we figured that out, it was remarkable. I mean, we had companies that were doing consumer debt refinancing. We had companies that were selling, uh, we still do in um, Wisconsin called Imperial Supplies. They sell to um, uh, fleets, anybody who manages a fleet of vehicles. Um, they sell like the physical stuff. So it's almost like distribution. Um, we've got companies that sell animal health drugs like Zoetis. We've got tech companies like Intuit. We've got, I mean, you name it. So it wasn't really so much about the industry vertical. It was much more about having a hypothesis on their selling motion. So if we saw the selling motion and had a hypothesis about the sales motion, good things happen. That's good. That's actually very good because I can also imagine that a lot of sales leaders, they they want to do the exercise of, all right, who is the ICP? We are going to verticalize the business to create focus inside the organization. But then unconsciously they, they link vertical, I would also think to a certain industry, a certain function, but there you mentioned like sales motion. And so you can go very creative when it comes to that. And so to come back to that point, so you create a hypothesis and that's then something that you will try to qualify as soon as possible then to validate the hypothesis. Yep. Yep. Cause originally we were qualifying but for the wrong hypothesis, we were originally saying like, okay, is this a company with 50 to 500 employees? And are we talking to the CEO? And if yes, but no, but we didn't sell anything. So then it very quickly turned into, oh, okay, throw that, throw, throw that out the window. Then we needed sales organizations with 25 to a thousand reps. And we needed to be talking to the second level sales leaders. And they had to have a sales motion that oriented around unscheduled calls. And when we did that, bing, we got paid her. So we qualify that very easy. You know, if I saw on LinkedIn that they have 450 salespeople and I talked to somebody, we would actually call the sales line. We would just say, hi, I'm just doing a research project. I had a quick question for you, which is all true. We're not lying, right? It's a research project. Quick question for you. Like I saw you have 450 salespeople. Yup, we got 450. Yup. Do you guys normally do like in-person meetings or do you do Zoom meetings or do you guys just like make calls unscheduled? Uh, no, we do in-person meetings. Next. Like waste of time. Right. Like we knew because like they're not going to record an in-person meeting. No, no, no. Total waste no, for of time. Sure. So, so, so you're right. So yeah, you, you, then all of a sudden you can essentially pre-qualify in our case by calling the sales line and people answer the sales line. That was, that was easy. Good. Maybe one last question. Uh, because we talked about the opener. We talked about here, uh, creating a hypothesis, knowing how to pre-qualify, but eventually you have to, I'm not going to say pitch lab, but you have to let them know of what you can bring to, to the prospect, to the company. Yep. So how do you, or at least what are your best practices when it comes to that, to make a smooth transition to your offering or obviously, you know, providing more information about what, what you can mean. Sell the value of the meeting, sell the value. What, what's, what's the prospect going to get in exchange for their time beyond just a discovery call with 21 questions or a demo. So what we started doing that changed everything for us was we started doing what we called a conversation assessment. So we would sell people on doing a conversation assessment. We will basically secret shop 
audit what people, what your reps are saying. Because the biggest question they'd ask is like, I have no idea what my reps are saying in calls, but paradoxically, paradoxically, we record calls. So we record calls, but yet I don't know what they say because I have no time to sit there and go through the mountain of call recordings. And we were like, well, with our technology, we could tell you what's going on there. So we started doing that. So, so do something in the sales process that's a valuable for the prospect so that the meeting itself has inherent value in it. And that's where you pivot over to the solution. I like that. I think that's a good one to end this, uh, this interview, Steve. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing all those, uh, all that knowledge, all that experience with us. Um, if people want to find out more about you or if you have like a specific call to action to the audience, please tell us. Yep, absolutely. So on my LinkedIn profile, Steve Richard, uh, uh, Mediafly, uh, they, they made me one of those, like, um, uh, I don't know, like the special profile types. So you have to hit the three dots. You can connect with me there. So go ahead and connect with me on LinkedIn as opposed to just following. I do sales tip of the day. So most days, I'd say 80% of the time, I'll put out a sales tip. It's totally free. Um, a lot of them are about prospecting. So uh, connect with me on LinkedIn and follow me for the sales tip of the day. Yeah, it's definitely good. I can, I can, I can recommend it. Steve, cool. thank you so much. And I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you, Dylan. That's it. We've once again reached the end of an episode. I just really appreciate you all spending the time. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And until next week with a fresh new episode.